Okay, I want to ask you a little question as we get started. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. I don't need you to say anything. Just show of hands will be fine. But if you look back at the last week and you think about your schedule, what you've done, I just want to know on a spectrum from bored on the one side to busy on the other side, if you had to pick a side, which one would you be closer to? No right answer, no wrong answer. But who out there bored? A little bit bored. I got lots of time. Don't know what to do with myself. Okay, I got like one... Two hands, okay. Busy, I'm running, oh wow, all of you are that busy? Oh, running out of time, we got too much to do, our schedules are packed. That's kind of what I expected. There is a little bit of both, but we definitely skew as a culture towards busy. We fill things up. It's interesting though, if you think about being bored or being busy, you're probably a little bit dissatisfied no matter which side you kind of line up on. So if you're bored, you might feel like, am I missing out on something? How come everybody else is doing things and I'm not doing those things? Uh, I'm maybe a little bit lonely because I'm on my own. You might feel a little bit of a tinge of insignificance. Should I be doing something that I'm not doing? Uh, some people, a bit judgy, wouldn't be me, but what goes it because you're lazy and you're not applying yourself. You should go do something. But then on the flip side, it's interesting that we're all busy. Like way, way, almost everybody had their hand up for busy. That our culture is very busy and we feel pressure to be very busy. But in our busyness, there's this weird dynamic too. On the one hand, none of us want to be as busy as we are. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I don't have enough time. Oh, I'm tired. We got so many things. We're running around taking the kids to everything, and there's no time to slow down, no time to relax. I got tons of assignments to do, and I, I don't know if I can hit the deadlines. Work has been crazy, and I never get time just to, to do what I want to do. But also, we're a little bit low-key proud about being busy, aren't we? Hey, how's your week? Busy, busy. Oh, yeah, busy. Lots going on. I hate how busy I am. But there's this little bit of pride because... I think where the dynamic, we sort of hit the tension, is we confuse being busy with doing things that are significant. So if we're bored, we sort of feel like, oh, maybe I'm not doing anything important. And if we're busy, it's sort of like, well, I don't want to be busy, but it's probably because I'm so important. It's probably because I got things that are really, you know, people need me around here and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And so our time gets kind of broken up. And, and I think on either way, we feel a little bit dissatisfied and a little bit confused. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about our time and I want to talk a little about, uh, a bit about how we look about our time and our opportunities. In Greek, the Greek language, uh, which I just bring up because most of the New Testament is written in Greek, and so we come to some of these words, there's two different concepts of time. One of them is, goes by the name chronos. It's in English where we get our word uh, chronology or chronological. It talks about uh, time in terms of like days and months, our schedules, when am I doing this? So what time is it? All these kind of things. So the chronology of time, when we're doing things, what gets on the schedule, um, just, just all these things about, you know, we've got minutes and hours and days and months and years. It's quantitative, right? How much time do we have? We talk about uh, needing more time or killing time or wasting time. It sort of has these ideas of um, efficiency and productivity sometimes for some of us. What am I going to do with my time? And then there's a, another concept and it's kairos, and kairos are these moments of opportunity. They're the moments that are significant. We might say, biblically, that they're moments of divinely appointed opportunity. They're the moments that are really significant. They're the ones that, when you look back at your life and you go, where were those moments that really changed things for me? Where are the moments that I savor? Where are the moments where there are mileposts in our lives and in who we are, where, where things could have gone one way but went another way? These are the kairos moments, the ones that matter, the moments of significance that we all have. So for some of us, it's 
It's that moment you remember where you met that friend that now has become a lifelong friend and you have this deep relationship, but it just started with sort of this happenstance meeting and you go, I'm so glad we had that significant moment. Or it's when you said your I do to the person that you plan to spend the rest of your life with. My wife and I was right here, believe it or not. Stage looked very different back then. But it was right here. You never forget those moments. Maybe it was when uh, you gave birth or, or you looked at your child for the very first time face to face and you thought, this is just never, life is never going to be the same. Some of the moments are, they're just really big. Like they're the ones you just, man, this makes me who I am. Like when the Philadelphia Eagles won Super Bowl 52. I'll never forget that. Beautiful, beautiful moment. Sometimes those moments are small. They might even seem insignificant, but they're not. They're the ones that you realize when you're lying next to your child, putting them to bed. And you think, these are the moments. This is who we are. This is what we're about. They come in big and small and sometimes very flashy and and, and noticeable. And sometimes they're low-key to the point where we might even miss them if we're not paying close attention. In Mark chapter 1, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we have this, this time moment, this Kairos moment, where Jesus uses this concept as he begins his ministry. It's Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, and it says, the time, the Kairos, promised by God has come at last. This is Jesus talking. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus, this is his core announcement. If you read any of the Gospels and you read about just the core of what Jesus is talking about, what Jesus does is announce that the kingdom of God, that the way things would be if, if, if God was in charge, is now at hand. That God is, is coming into his own and that it's available to us. The presence of God is available to us. And Jesus says, not the chronos, it's not necessarily the, the calendar date or the time on the clock that's significant here, but the kairos, the moment of opportunity, the moment of significance is now. Now it is here. Everything has been ready. All the preparation that has gone into this moment now is culminated, Jesus says. And here it is. The kingdom of God is near. It's available to you. You can now live in the rhythms of the presence of God. You can now live in a, a completely different way. And he says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. The good news uh, is actually not primarily a religious term. Originally, it was a military term. The good news was always good news of victory. Something has been won. And so uh, if a king went out with his army and they were fighting against an enemy and they won, but the army would still fall off, they would far off, they would send messengers to come back and the messengers would come back and everybody at home is waiting to see how did the battle go? How did the war go? Who won? What is this going to mean for us? And the good news when they come back and say, victory, we have won. And this is what Jesus is now. Victory, God has won in history. God has stepped into right where you and I are, into this life. And right now, you can live in his presence and know that he is in charge, no matter what it looks like in the rest of your world. And so, uh, Jesus says, in light of the good news, in light of the victory won by Jesus, the challenge is to repent of your sins. Now, if you've been in church for a good deal amount of time, you probably have uh, some baggage with the word repent, maybe, good or bad, but some things that go along with it. I think a lot of us, we expect that repent means I've done something bad, and now I feel bad about that, doing that bad. I have remorse, and I should probably do something different the next time. I'm going to repent of my sin, turn away from my sin. And that's true. That's part of repentance. It's a really important part, actually. But there's more to it. The word repentance, again, it's written in Greek, is metanoia. And it literally means to go beyond your mind, to go beyond how you currently think. 
And so uh, in one circumstance, it might be, oh, I've done something, but now I need to rethink that. Maybe that was harmful for myself, for other people, and I need to not do that again. I feel remorseful. But in another sense, Jesus is calling us to rethink everything, to think differently about how the world operates, about who God is, about our place in it. And so part of that might be, wow, I rethink these are actions or attitudes that need to change, of course. But also just to, to, to think, is God far off or is he near? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is, is near. It's right at hand. You can experience him right now. Might be thinking through what we think is most important or valuable in life. Might be thinking through our, our place in the world. It might be thinking through, uh, does God care? Is God loving? Is God forgiving? Is God angry? Is he wrathful? How do we think all of this? And Jesus is saying, I want you to rethink everything. Change your entire mind and worldview in light of what God is doing in this Kairos, in this moment of opportunity where his kingdom is breaking in. This is Jesus' announcement of his own ministry, that what he's going to unpack as he teaches, but also as he lives and then dies on the cross and is resurrected, that he's going to show people what it really looks like. And say, in light of that, go beyond your current mind. Join God in what God is doing in this world, specifically we see through Jesus. So if we skip down in this chapter, I want to show you kind of what this practically looks like for some of the, the first people that encountered Jesus in his ministry. So verse 16, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the higher men. Now, here's what is remarkable about this. So here's these guys. They're out doing their job, part of the family business. This is how they, it says right there, this is what they do for a living. Jesus wanders by. There's almost no preamble. There's almost no kind of history, at least in the book of Mark that we read about. He just comes along and goes, hey, come follow me. And they go, yeah, okay. And they leave everything and follow Jesus. Say, why would they do that? Why, why on earth would they make such a big decision, seemingly so quickly and with so little opportunity? Here's one theory. For Jewish boys specifically in this culture, their education would have been primarily around their Bible. The Jewish scriptures uh, lines up a good chunk with the Christian Old Testament. They would have gone through different phases. So you start out young, everybody gets thrown in the class, you learn some of the basics. They would have done stuff like, like memorized word for word the entire Old Testament. Remarkable. This is part of what they would do. They would learn this is, you know, God's word to us, and we're going to memorize it word by word. Along the way, there was three different phases. And so after the first phase, and, you know, they go to school for a little while, and they'd sort of realize, like, this isn't for everybody. And so some people would be excused. And then after the second phase, they'd go a little bit deeper and a little bit further and memorize more and get into interpretation. And then some people would be excused. They'd go to the third phase. Now, by the end of the third phase, what you have is academically the best and the brightest are still in school. And what they're working towards is becoming a rabbi, a teacher. And so the rabbis, the teacher, would be teaching them. And as they learn more and more, and the best and the brightest, they would stick it out and they would get all the way down the road. And then what would happen is a rabbi, a teacher, and this was, you know, sort of like, this is what you wanted to get to in culture. This was prize. This was the people who were the smartest, and, and they got it going on. The rabbi would come to those people, the people made it all the way through, and say, now come and follow me. We have an invitation. The rabbi would be saying, I believe that you can be what I am. You can do what I can do. You come and follow me and be like me. I'll teach you. And this is kind of the ultimate thing is these students are becoming rabbis. 
So here are these guys, and they're out fishing, which means they are not the best and brightest, which means they are not the ones that got all the way to school and had a rabbi say, come follow me, you can be like me. They are the ones who at some point dropped out of school, and they went into the family business, which is, by the way, what most people would have done. And now we go, and you see, like, you know, this is their father's thing, this is the family thing, and so we go out, and we fish, and we make a living. And so when Jesus comes by, this rabbi teacher comes by, and you have these, these guys who have failed out of rabbi school, and no rabbi ever said, come follow me, Jesus comes and says, come follow me, and I'll show you how to really fish, fish for people, really make a difference, a significance. And they go, we have our shot. They were realizing this was a Kairos moment. This was an opportunity. This is an opportunity to do something matters. Somebody's calling me out and calling me into a future that makes a difference, that, that this is the one that I can follow, that I can be like. This is the one whose yoke I can put on and actually uh, follow in the ways of learning God. We're now rethinking everything we thought about life. We thought we were going to be fishers. We thought we were doing the family business. We thought this was all there was to life. But now this Jesus has called us to follow him. Now let's skip down a little bit more because it gets a little bit weirder. These guys start following him. Jesus' ministry starts publicly. In verse 29, it says, After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. These guys were following Jesus, the disciples. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her. She prepared a meal for them. That evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. So here is, for many of us, so we're tracking with Jesus, and that first bit might have made sense to some of us. Okay, Jesus is a rabbi. These guys get excited. There's an opportunity. That makes sense. They go follow Jesus. They want to be like Jesus. But now, one of the first things that Jesus does is heal people of sickness— and he casts out demons. So picture people who physically are being oppressed by some sort of disease. And there's nothing that they can do about it. Then there are people who have uh, their personalities, which are being so changed by such a strong evil force. And many of us would go, I don't even know what my categories are for that or how I look at demon possession. Do I believe in that? But these people who are obviously so affected in a negative way by this strong negative force that they're so changed that they're caught in bondage. And Jesus is going and he's healing these people, touching them. And he's, he's releasing them from their bondage. And honestly, most of us go, I don't know what to do with that. I've never seen somebody demon-possessed. I've never seen a demon cast out. I don't know what I think about healings. Maybe it comes to mind. We think of, you know, preachers on TV, and we think they're just scamming us for their money, and maybe they are. And I don't know what to think about that. I don't know what to believe about that. I don't know if we're supposed to participate in that. I don't know what Jesus is doing. But here's what's happening. Jesus' healings, because, listen, if you read through the Gospels, I did this not long ago. I just read through one of the Gospels. Uh, and I was thinking, if you took out all of the parts like this, the parts where Jesus does stuff that a lot of us in the modern world, postmodern world, go, I don't know what to do with that, this healings and sort of supernatural stuff, there's almost no reason for people to follow Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Like you read the book of Luke and you go, if you take out all the healings in Luke, it, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody would be following Jesus. 
But then we also look at these passages and go, but I don't know what to do with this. This is like not my experience. What's happening here? Jesus' healings are a sign that point to the reality that even though these painful realities exist, God has begun the process of restoration. He's beginning new creation. He's taking everything that is breaking down, everything that is painful, hurtful, everything that's wrong with the world, and he is showing that as God's kingdom is coming, that healing is breaking into the world. And he's putting on display these signposts by healing people, by restoring people in other ways, by forgiving people, by bringing people into community, by telling stories about how people who are all far away from each other and can't get along are brought together in restoration and forgiveness and all the rest of it. This is what Jesus' announcement of the kingdom looks like. And if you look through the Old Testament, he's, he's doing this in a way that many people might not have seen, but if you're really pressing in, and this is what the, the gospel writers kind of point us to, you can find it, called the Messianic Expectations that when God's anointed one comes, what's it going to look like? When God decisively acts in history, when the kairos is right, when there's a moment of opportunity, when the kingdom is breaking in, what is it that we should expect? A lot of people were expecting a military leader. We're going to blast our enemies. We're going to fight and we're going to build back our nation. But here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 35, 5. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf, the lame will leap, leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. We can find a bunch more passages like this we could put out, but here's the point, and this is what we see in Jesus when he's healing, when he's casting out demons, when he's restoring people, is he's going back to these passages and saying, this is the moment. This is the Kairos opportunity for those who will see it, for those who will look and see what Jesus is offering. The moment is now. Henry Nouwen, a great writer, he said this about uh, this idea of kairos. He said, certain events, current events, historical events, critical incidents and in life circumstances serve as signposts pointing to the will of God and the new creation for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. So what if that invitation that Jesus gave to those first disciples to come follow him the invitation that said, rethink everything, change and go beyond your current mind about how you think the world operates wasn't just a one-time invitation for these guys, but was an invitation and is an invitation for all of us to have our eyes open and our ears open to the ways that God is stepping into our world and our lives and bringing the new creation. Because here's what I think. I think that invitation is given over and over and over. And our job more and more in a world that is so obsessed with chronos is to pursue kairos. We're so obsessed with productivity. We're so obsessed with our schedules. We're so obsessed with all the things that we have to do to make ourselves important or, or to live the kind of lives that we want. But what if, what if instead of being obsessed with the, the efficiency and productivity of our world, with our calendars, we were the kind of people who were looking for kairos. We were looking for significance. We were looking for moments where God was, was prompting us and showing us where he was working towards new creation, restoration, and saying, come follow me. Come be part of it. Come be part of the kingdom that's breaking in right here and right now, sometimes in ways that seem really big and crazy and sometimes in ways that we would certainly miss if we weren't quieting ourselves and looking for the redemptive acts of God that come sometimes in very small ways. Later on uh, in his ministry, when things are getting really serious, when Jesus is getting towards the time where he's going to be crucified, and this is, if you read the Gospels all through it, uh, you see that his disciples, they're just, they never really get it. Jesus is trying to tell them over and over 
that I'm going to a cross. I'm going to be, this is one of the things we miss. We go, no, 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 that's not how the schedule is supposed to go, Jesus. If you're a leader, this is not supposed to be leading up to a time where you die. And Jesus is always trying to tell them. That's what repent means, to go beyond your current mind, to actually see that resurrection life goes through a cross and crucifixion. Even if that's not where we want to go, but this is where life comes and it's getting to this place where uh, it's getting closer. This is from Luke chapter 12. And his disciples and certainly some of the crowds around him aren't fully getting it. And here's what he says. This is about Kairos. He says, he says to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time, the kairos? So you know when it's going to rain. See the cloud? Oh, it looks like rain. It's pretty simple. You know when the wind is blowing a certain way, it's going to be hot today. You get up in the morning, you go, it's not quite hot, but I can tell it's going to be hot. He goes, but why can't you look for the opportunities and the movement of God in the same way? Why won't you tune in to look for Kairos and not just Kronos. How do I plan my day? Oh, I might need an umbrella today. That's great. <laughs> but Jesus says there's more. And what if you learn to interpret current events? Your day, the moments that you sit with someone else and you look for the importance and the significance of what God is doing, that requires us to slow down, requires us to be less busy, requires us to become quiet in prayer, Listen to God requires us probably to dive into the scriptures and figure out what it is that God is calling us to do. It requires us to be reflective and to think through our days, not just in terms of, wow, I was busy, and now, oh, at the end of the day, the kids are finally asleep and I can watch Netflix for a few minutes. Let's go, what is God doing in our lives? What is he trying to teach us? What could we learn? Where does he want us to be part of what he is doing? Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. It's one of those kind of famous verses. Sometimes gets hijacked, but he says, look carefully then how you walk, which means the decisions you make, how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the kairos because the days are evil. So Paul says, looking at his circumstances, we're going through some hard things. Life is tough. Life is hurtful. So be careful how you live. Be wise and make the best use of the time. Some uh, translations talk about seizing every opportunity, and we've hijacked this, and we've put our North American spin on it, and we've made it sort of about productivity a long time. So every time there's an opportunity, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and we've come back into Kronos time. Oh, there's only so much minutes, so i got to jump on it, and i got to do it. It's not Kronos, it's Kairos. It's maybe slowly and contemplatively. Look at the significance and opportunities of this moment and be wise in it. Look for where God's kingdom is stepping in. Look for where Jesus is at work and decide whether or not you'd like to join him. So perhaps a powerful question we might ask ourselves is, what is it that God is teaching me in this moment? Are you in a Kairos moment? What will we rethink about how we live our lives? What does repentance look like? Maybe it's remorse for something we've done or not done, but maybe it's, it's just looking at the world differently, looking at our opportunities different, look at, looking at our values differently, looking at how we think the world looks differently. What we're pursuing might, might change. How do we repent in light of the fact that Jesus announced that the kingdom and the presence, the rule of God is now at hand? Rethink your life and what that looks like. Rethink your opportunities and how you will step into it. In a world obsessed with Kronos, I will encourage us to pursue and look for Kairos. Those moments of significance and importance.
Can I tell you something? Um, just looking at our church community, looking out here today at, at you, thinking of you who are following us online, um, I believe this season in the life of Westside Church is a, a big Kairos moment. I actually believe that God has been preparing this church, this community, for this moment in history. I believe that there are some of us who have been here for a long time. I was doing the math today for our, our volunteer huddle this morning. Um, I've been here for, I believe, 26 years of my life. Not all in a row, but about 12 as a kid, a year as a youth guy, and the last 13 here as lead pastor. Some of you, somebody here this morning in the volunteer huddle said they've been here for 30 years. My wife's been here her entire life. Never left. Others of us have been here, maybe it's your first time, a few weeks, a few months, maybe you're still checking things out, really glad to have you. I think God's doing something special in this community. I think there's opportunity here. And I think for many of us, God has been preparing again, us as a church and us as individuals, perhaps to look into this moment and to ask, what is the kairos, what is the opportunity here for us to join with God in what he's doing to build his kingdom? i tell you a couple of stories, a couple of stories about just our church community, some things we've seen in the recent history that I believe have helped just illuminate God preparing us for this, this moment, whatever this is going to look like and wherever we're going to go. Westside, by the way, is a church that's over 90 years old. There have been a lot of iterations, a lot of ways that things have looked differently, a lot of style changes, a lot of different ministries. All of us who consider Westside home, again, whether you're new or you've been here for a while, all of us stand on the shoulders of people who have come before us. I'll tell you a couple of stories. About a dozen years ago, 12, 13 years ago, there was a bunch of people who, and it wasn't a very big group of people, to be honest with you, who gathered here, a small group of people, and who made the decision that it would be more important to make decisions about our church and our community, thinking through who wasn't here than those of us who were here. So we just realized if we just keep making decisions about what makes us happy, then this is really all we're going to have. But if we want to partner with what God might be doing in people that aren't here yet, we have to start thinking about things differently. And so there's a group of people, um, we started looking at our neighborhood and our city and asking where are the needs, what are the needs right around us here in West Hamilton uh, and surrounding areas, and started just ask God, God, where, where would you be calling us out to? to actually uh, reach people and serve people that aren't here yet. Here's a couple of things that happened. People walked onto the campus of McMaster University and realized that there's around 30,000 people who come from all over the world that live in walking distance to this building. And if we are not reaching and serving McMaster students, we're not reaching and serving the West End of Hamilton. If you're a student here today, you need to know that you've been prayed for, that you've been thought about, that people have walked around your dorms and around your campus and has asked God to work in your life and asked if we could be part of that. So last week, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Numbers, by the way, are important uh, only because I believe numbers represent names and names are important to God. But last week, we had more than 40 students stay for our lunch after church where we could just invite them to say, we want this to be a community where many of you who are not at home, you're away from home, need a home, need a community, need people in your corner, and to let you know that we're here for you and that you're not alone. And as you walk with Jesus or explore Jesus, that there is a family that cares for you here. And that's our commitment to you, Mac students. We want to be here for you. And if you want to make this home, we want that available to you. Um, parents, if you've dropped your kids off back in the back end of our church, um, I, some of you have told me this. It's a beautiful space. It's light. It's open. Uh, it's very welcoming. It's very functional for our kids. 
uh, you just need to know that that used to be sort of a very blocked off place. Uh, there was a group of people who decided at one point, and there's only a handful of kids here. I mean, literally a handful of kids here. But there was a group of people who said, we believe that God wants us to serve families in our city and all around us. And so they literally broke down walls, like these kind of cinder block walls, broke them down and built a place for kids. It was sort of like a field of dreams thing. If you build it, they will come. Like, we want to show we're serious about, about the next generation. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We're serious about passing on our faith to the next generation, to our kids and to our youth. And so we're going to just say we're going to invest in that, even though there's only a couple of kids. Yesterday, I spent some time um, with a, a, a children's ministry director we had a number of years ago. She worked so hard through this time. She built a ministry, and her mindset was, whether we have four kids or 40 kids, we're bringing our energy, we're bringing our A game, we're going to share Jesus with them with the same enthusiasm and the same sense of excellence. And she worked here for so, year, so many years and she moved away, um, happenstance, a couple of years ago. Uh, and yesterday I was like, did you realize the last Sunday there were 68 kids in our kids wing? 68 kids in our kids wing? Because there were some people who believed that God said, hey, we, just, we need to believe in the next generation and we need to do something that says they're important enough to do, make an investment to, uh, to make that happen. Uh, for those of you here in the auditorium, if you're sitting in a chair, um, there's a number, of, we used to have pews here, and they were really, really uncomfortable. <laughs> Nobody liked the pews. Um, I thought I was going to get in trouble because we were going to mention it, and I thought there'd be people who were really connected to those pews. Uh, but actually, we announced, hey, we want to take out the pews and put in chairs um, because we want this to be a multiple-use space. We want it to be more comfortable. We want it to be more inviting, all that kind of stuff. Everybody went, yay, that's awesome. Now, there's only a few people here, and so we had to make a decision about how many chairs we were going to buy. And here's a decision a group of people came to because they believed that God wanted us to reach into our city and neighborhoods and beyond. Uh, and we said, instead of just buying enough chairs for us, we had to fundraise for this because these chairs, like a dozen years ago, cost 100 bucks each. Now it'd probably be like a million inflation. <laughs> Don't get me started. So we said, hey, if you're able, how about you do this? Buy a chair for enough people in your family, like donate enough money if you can, and then times it by two. Buy a chair for somebody who's not here yet, and then let's pray that God would fill those chairs. So today, if you're sitting in a chair and you weren't there at that time, just know somebody paid for your chair today and prayed that you would fill it. Is that all right? We all stand on the shoulders of people who've come before us and said, we believe this is a kairos and God is calling us to partner with his kingdom because we see in Jesus that he steps in and everything that's gone wrong with the world, he's making right. And he says, I know it doesn't always look like that, but come follow me. I'm not the brightest. We're not the cleverest. We're not the most talented. That's okay. We're out fishing with the fishermen. He says, come follow me. Come follow me. This is how it works. Rethink it. You don't have to be the best and the brightest and the most talented. Just come follow me and look what I'm going to do. By my power, by my, by, by my spirit. Okay. I love this church. This whole fall, the last month, we've been talking about um, our community and ways that uh, we want to invite you to get involved. And this is what it is. At the core of all of that, this is, this is what we're about. This is my commitment to you and our leadership commitment to you. That's what's most important to us. What is going to be center is Jesus. And our response to the question, will you come follow me? Come rethink everything, repent and follow me. 
That's who we are. Here's a couple of ways that I just, we want to place before you some opportunities. I hope this is maybe a Kairos moment for you to step closer into community, into what we're doing here, and there to look for more and more opportunities of what God is doing. So we've been talking about our life groups. Today, as of right now, you can go on your phone to our website, westsidehamilton.com slash groups, and sign up for a life group. And so today, this might be a moment where you do that, and you say, I want to get into a group uh, of, you know, a small group, probably 10 to 12 people. We're going to go deeper. We're going to talk uh, about our lives with each other. We're going to follow Jesus together. Even if you're just exploring, that's fine, but we want you to be able to do that. So uh, literally right now, I would not be offended if you took out your phone. Do this today. We want you to go on there. Uh, I think we're going to have a little shot of what this looks like. There's a number of options for you. Most of them are based on region or location. So we've got a West Hamilton, we've got Mountain, we've got Ancaster, we've got Dundas, we have uh, Aldershot, Burlington. So if you live in one of these areas, we'd love for you to go on and say, this is kind of closest to me, this is where I want to dive in. I know you might have a bunch of questions like, well, what night is it on and who else is going and what's the, what's the address? We are going to spend the next couple of weeks making sure you know that. We're going to figure out the details with you. Don't worry about that for now. We just want to know uh, where's most convenient for you to dive in. And then we're going to get back to you and we're going to build out the details and make sure that there's a great group for you. The two exceptions are that we're going to have a young adults group. So students, or if you're in sort of that phase of life, uh, young adultish. We invite you to come here. I think it's going to be Sunday evenings here at the church. It's going to be a great group for you. And you heard in the announcements about Alpha, which I think is going to be amazing this year, this time that's very uh, based on discussion, asking questions. It is a non-threatening space. Uh, if you're searching in your faith, you don't know what you believe, uh, maybe if you just want a bit of a refresher course, talking through some of the basics, maybe this is just a non-threatening way for you. If this is a new church for you to come, enjoy a meal, be with people. It's going to be wonderful. Invite a friend. So you'll see all those options for groups there. Would love for you today to go on. If you uh, need a little bit of assistance, uh, it doesn't work for you online or whatever, today in the lobby, uh, you can find some help. We've got uh, John, our executive pastor, and, and Zach, our ministry director, are going to be out there to help you out if you're navigating the online stuff. But please take that step to say, I want to be in this kind of relationship, go a little bit deeper with this community. Uh, We're going to ask you not to sign up forever. We know a lot of us, we go, man, I'm still kind of new, or I'm checking things out, I'm not sure. So here's our suggestion. Just dig in for eight weeks. Just kind of mid-October, we'll launch in a couple of weeks. Give us till mid-December, and then we'll see how things go. And if you hate it and go, these people are terrible, I don't want to be in community anyway, then you can bail, no problem. Uh, or if something doesn't work, we'll help you, but just give us uh, that commitment to say, man, I want to step into a deeper community and walk with some people. So definitely do that. Second opportunity is our team's. Um, all these things that are going on, everything that happens here at Westside, we are run by amazing volunteers who give of their time and energy. Um, and, and the things that we see, it, we just have to say thank you to our volunteers who say, I want to take the Kairos, the opportunity to serve people. And so uh, in our lobby today, again, you'll see Zach, and he's going to have some signups out there. We've got teams for people who want to be involved in all kinds of stuff. I don't want you to do something you don't want to do. Uh, the last thing we want is people that don't like kids to be in our kids' ministry. So if you're like, oh, you're going to make me do kids. I don't want you in kids if you don't be in kids. But listen, you got tech team, we've got music, we've got uh, kids, we've got youth. We have um, some days we just need some people to do some work days because we have work around the building. We got some carpet to put in here, which I'm very excited about. Um, if you want to just sign up, hey, put me as a work day, there are those opportunities. Uh, so go into the lobby today, look for that and just say, uh, there's got to be a place for me to see an opportunity uh, and, and to jump on it. 
So today's our kickoff Sunday. We got pie after. We got a bouncy castle for the kids. We got some stuff going. And I just want to encourage you to maybe look for an opportunity as well. Look for a kairos of where God might be nudging you to go a little deeper into this community if you're ready for that. I want to come back to one thing that I said before, and then we'll close. I said our commitment, my commitment to you is that when people say, what is this church all about? What makes it different than going to anything else or any other organization that that at the core of everything is Jesus. Why Jesus? And why this call to follow Jesus? Because there's other good things we could put. We could, say, we could say God, sort of generically. We could put God, you know. Or we could put the Bible at the center. The Bible's good. Why do we say Jesus specifically? Here's why. Because when we follow Jesus, Jesus shows us what the Father, what God looks like. New Testament writer says he's the exact image of the invisible God. If you're wondering, what is it that would God look like if he showed up? We see it in Jesus. When we follow Jesus, he promises to give his spirit because as I said, we are not talented enough, we're not clever enough to bring in God's kingdom and to change this world. But Jesus says, I'm gonna leave you my spirit and you're gonna do the things I've done and you're gonna do even more. You look at that list of weird stuff and Jesus says, actually, I believe with my spirit, you can do even more. When we follow Jesus, he shows us what it really looks like to worship, to really love God. He models for us how to love one another. He pushes us to serve the world around us, and he dies for us to put on display the love that is more powerful, the death in resurrection life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for showing us uh, in such a profound way and stepping into history who you are. Thank you for the invitation and the the proclamation that your kingdom has come and that we are invited to follow Jesus. And I pray that that would be the heartbeat of this church and this community. I pray that today you'd be placing it on each of our hearts of how we might fit into that, how we might receive your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and how we might turn it back out as we love and serve one another and the world around us. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.